Hey, Simis, welcome to episode 118 of the So This Moai podcast. I'm your host and producer, Lingya. And firstly, let me explain what Simis, S T I M I E S, is. It basically refers to So This Is My Homies. And this would be a term I'm using for anyone who follows and supports Steamy. Now, let's meet our latest Steamy guest, Yo Chin Chao. Now, Chen Chao is one of the most famous entrepreneurs in the region. He's a co-founder of Faith, KFIT, and was also the COO and Regional Operation Director at the APEC level for Groupon for four years. And for someone with such an illustrious background, you soon find out that he rarely plans for anything. So how did Chen Chao end up in the startup space? How did he end up by coincidence at Job Street? Why did Joan Neo, another popular Malaysian founder, promote him to become COO at Groupon even though Chen Chao had never managed anyone before and perhaps more importantly, wasn't even hired for that role in the first place? How did he turn around a business losing $1 million to making 8000 in profit in eight months? And what has it been like building Fave, the largest digital platform in Southeast Asia? To find out more, you just have to listen to Chen Chao's episode. Now, are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. I came from a small town, to be more precise, from Matangkling, which is Penang Perak border. So my grandparents shop at that time when we were there literally was just at the border where we just cross the road means we're in Penang State so sometimes as a kid we run across the road left right across the state a few times a day an hour and then you end up going to Raffles so was that very different for you? yeah so I think from that small town then I went to Raffles Junior College <laughs> after SPM so I still remember those days 5am catching the bus go to school and if you have regular activities, yeah. come back home at 8pm. And yeah. from, from 5 my parents rent me a room next to the school so I can literally walk one minute to school. So you didn't even stay with your parents? For from 4 or 5, yeah. I came oh, back wow. weekends. You were not lonely? With some friends, yeah. So those days were quite simple. Three person, one room. I think the rental was 75 ringgit a person. And then you have a bicycle so you go anywhere as a kid. And from there, after SPM, there's a, this IQ test to apply to Singapore, ASEAN scholarships. Yeah. After IQ test, there's a math and English test as well. Yeah, I got in. I knew my English couldn't make it, but I don't know why they took me, went on it to Singapore. Yeah. And then you end up going to the US at Cornell, and that was your first time going on a plane. Yeah, so went to Singapore, I was struggling there, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that my English was poor. I mean, like I came from a Chinese school where speaking English is basically like showing off, right? So we don't really use it except for English class. My teacher teach mostly in Hokkien for any subject. So when I went to Singapore, I was struggling there. Then after seven months, I got a GPA scholarship. So decided to come back to Malaysia. And my parents had to compensate Singapore government for my seven months there. Pretty expensive. Got back to Malaysia, went to preparation at the University of Technology Mara. And I actually didn't know anything about US education, right? As it came, didn't have a dream that go there so far and everything. So my counselor, Ijamran, basically recommended a few universities, applied. And how you know you got an offer is that you receive an envelope that's thick. You get a thin envelope means rejection letter, thick envelope means acceptance letter. 
So you got that thick except for Nessa. You yeah, must have been so excited. Super lucky. Didn't know anything. Like went on preparing, went on the first flight. I still remember that time before the school start, the university sent us one English book. And that was my first English book outside of textbook or exam worksheet book. Gun Gems and Steel by Jared Diamond. And I still remember lying on bed and reading that book. After every few pages, I fall asleep. <laughs> I think that that was the toughest, toughest read because I don't understand anything, but I knew I had to read it and that was my first book. And they still make you take an English test, right? Yeah. Went in there, served, excitedly flown on the first flight, happily wear a coat and then we went on the flight. Today in my mind, I would never have worn a coat with tie in the flight, but I did that time because that time since some friends did it and all of us were super excited. They thought that, okay, first time on the plane must be like that. So went on it. And when I reached the campus, they had this English test. So we had 3,000 students from 120, 130 countries. Yeah, eight students were chosen as the best English from the other way around. And I was one of the eight racing Malaysia flag there. Did you feel as though, oh, why am I here? I don't think this is a good place to be because I've just arrived and I'm already at the bottom. Actually, when I got the offer, no one believed I got the offer. Right? People think I was joking because my grades was nowhere near the best. I think the English one did affect some bit, but it sort of confirmed to me that, hey, yeah, I'm like very, very far behind, but didn't think too far. But I think that special class actually helps me as well. The Professor Deborah Campbell, I think that that class sort of gave me to learn basic English. I still remember the assignment every week was to write six pages on English on anything from homesick to whatever it is in whatever broken English. Yeah. And were you not tempted to stay on in the US to work? I mean, you end up coming back and working as a management consultant. Just before I graduate, my final year, I applied to a bunch of universities, some rejections, some acceptance. Mm -hmm. I got an offer from Stanford University for their masters. Thought that I would get a chance to go for Silicon Valley dream. I came back to apply for scholarships. So I took on an internship at Accenture, tried to apply for scholarships, didn't get any. I actually managed to get the university to defer one year, stay on Accenture as an analyst and continue to apply for scholarships. Unfortunately, all were rejections, oh, no. right? Tried different ways. There are a few folks that are helping me. That was Sri Onkating, or Tan Sri actually. He, he helped me to speak to Prime Minister at that time. I didn't get through the former Malaysian ambassador to US. He helped me as well. My grades in uni was not good enough. I was not good enough. I didn't get a chance to live that dream. So yeah. that's how I came back. But I guess everything happens in a way that at each point, the life will be quite different, right? I think. Yeah. And coming back has its pros as well, right? I think being this part of the back to the home country, I think where we are more comfort in. And I think that also opened up some space to work on. Yeah. I mean, if I was you, I would definitely be very disappointed what was your thoughts in terms of what you're going to do with your life? Yeah, I didn't think too far at that time. So that time I was in Accenture, right? I can't remember exactly. One of the scholarship applications was because the post doesn't deliver. It rejected mail, came in past the deadline, right? And I still remember, I think it was a... I need to send to some PO box. And I sent by registered mail because PO box, no one was signed. And hence it come back. Those good old days, right? Where you don't use email and submit online, Right. I think I was in Accenture trying to work hard, just like a normal fresh grad joining a firm, try to get a promotion, thinking that that's what I wanted. And I still remember I, after I first round of, after two years in Accenture, I didn't get the promotion. Mm. I was very, very sad. I still remember I cried a bit and everything. And after I worked hard again, right? And 
eventually six months later I got the promotion and I thought that was what I want good increment change of title from analyst to consultant but I was like hey I thought that's what I want but now I got it I didn't feel too happy the next day I just resigned oh really yeah with no plan inside at that time Job Street gave me an offer okay that's the coincidental yeah coincidental and that one was also pure luck right and it was a pay cut to go to Job Street as well but when I turned down that time I didn't know exactly what I'm going to do with Job Street as well <laughs> and how the Job Street one came was there's an MIT alumni dinner I'm not an alumni but my friends were saying okay why don't you go turn up I turned up Kayib who was a co-founder of Job Street was sitting next to me we talked random stuff and then he was like one day he's like hey free to go meet with Suresh Thiru who was then a COO of Job Street so we had a lunch and then after that Essentia sent me to Singapore so my phones those good old days where the SIM card where you take out because the roaming is too expensive they're plucking a Singapore card so for a month Suresh couldn't actually reach me and one day he emailed me and said hey couldn't reach you are you still interested to talk about this right and then immediately called him back I still remember that same day I went to meet Mark Chang who was a CEO of Job Street in Singapore because he was living in Singapore at that time then from there I got a chance to subsequent with meeting with Wikang Albert who leads product and tech and then from there got to join Job Street. So I think they didn't know. I think that in Accenture was sort of consulting the typical consultant life and I think one of the things the friends in there as well, the fellow colleagues, many of them today look at those folks that we were at all at the Sarkon projects. Many of them are now leading big companies across, right? Like and Grab. Yeah, very, uh, so Adeline's now leading Jagrosser and Grab Malaysia. Jagan leading OVO, which is a Grab Indonesia. There are many, many, many folks that met Ryan, who is now leading strategy innovation at RHB Bank. So that, and, and there are many, Kelji, who run Grab Financials, and many folks else, right? Jensen and Hong Leong and all those things. So I think that all, a lot of them are all leading many, many different folks. But I think the friendship those times was interesting. Right? We were all fresh Grab at that time, mostly maybe someone one, one year apart or something, a bit more senior. And I think that we all went through that ups and downs and our manager, Mongi, she was like a mother to all of us, taking care of us. We still go to her house at Chinese New Year every year. So you end up leaving Accenture where you know eventually all of your ex-colleagues also end up moving as well, doing amazing things. I learned that when you were at Job Street, you were tasked with focusing on the fresh grad sector. You came up with this English assessment test that is still being used 15 years later. What is that test about? I mean, what was it that would stand the test of time? Yeah, so I think that back then, think of big, right? This, that was 2008, 2009, right? Where employers were all saying, I think those days were the hot topic of uh, the, the people that apply for jobs in Malaysia, especially Southeast Asia, English language was not good enough. My English was not good as well, right? I think I got a chance to sort of create a job street English language assessment. I still remember that sort of structure aid where there's 40 questions that you can practice or then after that you can get a random 40 questions that where it's a question bank where then you can answer. And to make it gamify it back then, I still remember we created it that to encourage more people to fill up more things in your CV. So anything that you fill up, you will know how good you are compared to others. So let's say if you fill up that you are from Unisim layer, you will know that your English is better than how many percent people in Unisim layer. Mm. If you feel that you study economics, you know that English is better than how many percent people who study economics. Right? So basically to get you to fill up more things, you get more information on it. 
right? And the test you can only take once in three months. So you can't practice and it's a question bank. Every question is different. And then from there, we actually get to announce every month here and there, right? And say, okay, how's the English level of different countries comparing? Let's say Malaysia is at 29.98. Singapore is 32.44. And Thailand is in 28.44. Of course, I made up the number now for this. But it basically think of it like, how does each country, which country English improve went down and whatnot, right? And I think it become a bunch of talking points as well, right? That's brilliant. So next thing we need to talk about is Joel Neal. He obviously had a huge influence in your life. Firstly, how did you two meet? Yes, I think the first time, if I'm not wrong, I met him at Kylie's place. Yeah. Yeah, so that was when Kylie was still doing the chicha and I think they started just starting their Youth Asia time. So I met him, didn't really talk that much. And then after that, Joel and Kylie also started the Youth 0809 2010. So that time they were the main character there. I was this one person there that looking at far, these two people that were there organizing it. A bunch of ministers came and visited their events. I was just a small participant. I did one panel, one talk at a small, one of the many stages there. And I think that from there, then 2009, when they wanted to do Youth Engagement Summit. So they wanted to bring 5,000 youth together and brought in a bunch of speakers. And I was still at Job Street that time, right? So we met up and I was exploring synergy between the two. They had a big dream, right? They wanted to bring Barack Obama to speak. They tried. They booked up Putraja International Convention Center because there's a helipad. Obama wanted to go to Indonesia, see whether he can come in over. They couldn't. They got a replacement speaker. Trump. Yeah. <laughs> who At that time, who was the guy that could write Apprentice and eventually became the Donald Trump. They tried to get Mark Zuckerberg. They couldn't. They got Randy Zuckerberg. They got Bestone, who is the founder of Twitter and a bunch of those folks. So it's quite interesting. I still remember they got the, if I'm not wrong, finance minister or like head of the finance minister for China and India in the same panel. Yeah. If my memory doesn't fail me. So you ended up leaving Job Street to join them, Groupon. Yeah. Why? I mean, at the time, there was only eight people. It was really small. It could die. It could go nowhere. Yeah. Why would you take that late? Yeah, so I said when I was in Job Street, Suresh Tiro did mention to me one day you should learn sales, right? And then I still remember there was one day was talking with Simon C, who was at then reading the marketing for Job Street. Then we were like, oh, Joe Kali just sold their company. So those days, SMS, right? So we text them and say, hey, congratulations for selling your company. And then the next thing I know is Joe basically Facebook messaged me and said, hey, free for supper, right? I went in teacher short slippers because it's 10 p.m. below my apartment, right? And didn't know there's a job interview. Anisha came. So Anisha who eventually became a head of HR, right? They, had, they both came and that turned out to be a job interview. No CV, nothing. And Clearly you did well. I don't know why. I guess they, for whatever reason, they were like, okay. Then I got offered to join as a tele, inside sales manager mm. or the glorified name for tele sales agent lah. So that was how I got in. And I think that the, when I thought back was that, because Job, uh, Suresh mentioned that one day I should learn sales. Yeah. And that's how sort of like, okay, now I've got a chance to do sales. Did you not think that you could learn sales at Job Street? Why do you have to move? Maybe I have to wait for several years to get a, go to a sales rotation. Maybe that was sort of where it was, right? And then and didn't too far. I mean, not many people at the age of 30, young professional would take a tele-sales agent job. Yes. Right, yeah. and at the time I was like, okay, like, let me just go do it. And not many people from a product manager would say, let me go take the telesales yeah. job yeah. as well. I didn't know much at the time, to be honest. I was like, okay, let me Wasn't just... it seen as like a taking a step back? 
Yeah, but I didn't think too far to be honest. I was just like, okay, la, let me just try and see how. Okay. And maybe because so far I didn't really plan my career. A lot of times it's like coincidental steps. And actually, I have never formally applied for any jobs before. Yeah, I've noticed based on my research. <laughs> yeah, so never, right? So essential was I was looking for internship. And then my friends said, oh, they got interns, so then went through that. Job trip was coincidental, just as I mentioned. Yeah. And then Groupon, this one is also yeah. coincidental. So never really applied. Applied for any jobs, right? And then from that, time, of course, there's headhunters pinging here and there, but never applied. So I know, know nothing, right? So I, and it was just that at that time, feel that okay, lah, maybe just pick it up. Yeah. You might know nothing about applying for jobs, but clearly the jobs came to you. So that's kind of the ideal situation. I wonder why was it that people would come to you? What is it that people could learn or apply and do with their own lives? Yeah, I think people, in a way, a lot of times people do go to many people to broaden out their leads right, of who is possible. I think for the Joel back then was that after they just sold to Groupon, so Groupon asked them, so Oliver Simon is sort of the father of internet for Southeast Asia, right? He founded Lazada Zalora Fupanda. He used to manage us at Groupon, right? And he basically told Joel and said, okay, find the people who have these two backgrounds, right? Management consultant and graduated from Ivy League University. And Joe literally went to his social media and see which of his friends came from that background for coincidental or whatever. I, I checked that two box and hence I was gotten this. Yeah. Right. So it was just that at that time on his Facebook, Facebook algorithm helped me, right? In that sense that when he searched for it, somehow my name came about and that was it. And let's say we talk about Ivy League graduates, a lot of them don't come back to Malaysia. Yeah. Right. So not many actually came back. So the comparison pool is actually not that many because not many people will be here. Very true. So it was luck play a big part and I think right place, right time. So here's the funny thing. You left because you thought you were going to go into a sales role, but you had to serve two months notice. You came in, there was no sales role. Yeah. So you must have felt really disappointed because you were just doing random jobs. Yeah, so for the first three weeks, just came in, doesn't know what to do, and never joined a small company. In a way, because from Accenture, it's a very big structure, large the, scale, then we and we were operating on a bungalow, right, in Jalan Gasing, right, the Gasing, just behind the Gasing Hills, right? So literally, still remember, go to office in t-shirts, shorts, and slippers, I literally got that, and lying on the floor, so sometimes you got no table, so we're literally on the floor working. <laughs> And then the office has too much alcohol sitting there. I don't drink, but a lot of people drink. There's a swimming pool. So sometimes the meeting venue is inside the pool. So didn't know much, to be honest. I think that I don't think I was feeling too too disappointed because I never really planned my career. So okay. it's just sort of like, okay, lah, nothing. Then I just find random things to do, go, go think different bit. And it was sort of a like one house kind of spirit. We're all in a one bungalow working there, right? Mm. Then everyone just at different point building point on, on different, different things. Yeah, I think if I had properly planned my career, a lot of those things would not have happened. I would not have moved from a consulting firm to join Jobstreet. I would not have quit Jobstreet to join a telesales role for an eight-person company. I would not have, if I go in there or no role, I would not have the keep on and maybe question. I never did any of that because I think because just like, okay, whatever throws in, you just go on it, right? I just go to flow and see how what happens, right? So I think that has been my live one day at a time kind of spirit and that's sort of how we win, right? So that few things sort of give me those opportunities, right? A lot of times. Isn't that unusual? I mean, I have to pick up on this since you talk about it, the whole, I didn't plan my career. That sort of surprises me because I went to London School of Economics. Obviously everyone, lots of Asians, very, very, very driven, planning, planning, planning. Everyone's fighting for the same thing. I imagine in Ivy League, that's 
going to be the same thing when you're surrounded by those people. Even if you might not dream of being a consultant, you feel so, oh, I have to be that. And that also that drive that I have to plan my career. Did you not feel that rubbing off you or did you just reject it? I think in my uni, maybe because I didn't know much. So I think because of my poor English as well. And I think one thing looking back is that I don't really have American friends. I mostly mingle in a small circle of Malaysian, Singaporean and a bunch of Asians, right? In a small circles. Like sometimes I speak Bahasa, sometimes I speak Chinese, a bit minimal English here and there. I, and I look back on my uni. I spent four years in the States. Yes, at the Ivy League universities. I did not even apply for an internship. I was offered to go Silicon Valley. I turned it down as an internship because I wanted to go to China for a trip during summer. That's so funny. <laughs> right? I did not apply for study abroad. I did not do any research. I look back, of course, if I today can turn back the clock and say go plan it, I will have done all of that. For my four years there, I did nothing of that. Right? I mean, you think on it, technically you go to a space that there's a lot of opportunities. Zero internship, zero research, zero study abroad. But you had a good time. I enjoyed attending a bunch of random lectures. I said random lectures, like different people speak and going on. I still remember what, there was one talk that maybe about 10 people I passed by. I didn't heard of this name, this person's name. I saw free pizza, so I went in. <laughs> sit down there. This person was talking about flying rockets to space and everything. I never heard of that person's name. Like just there, listen. And then at the end of the talk, I went to talk to this person. And I mentioned I'm from Malaysia and the person was super hyper and super excited. And like, oh, wow. They, and then because... Malaysia apparently was his first client and that person was Elon, Elon Musk. Musk. Right? 20 years ago, he was a nobody. Yeah. Right? And of course, I ne- if I knew he was going to be Elon Musk, <laughs> maybe in I, keep in touch. I didn't keep in touch with him. Like, and a lot of those things, right? So I think in the uni, I think that looking back, I had a lot of opportunities to various things. I didn't do any of that. Mm. So I think that's what maybe one of the advice I think for people that today, you have this chance, go and grab it. Like, right? I think I didn't. I was there. I attended a lecture, attended a f- event, gathering, talks, events, here and there. But yeah. But you know, even though you didn't plan, things sort of worked out for you because you came in supposed to be sales, didn't get to do sales, did random jobs. Then you became COO despite never managing anyone. The first question that came to my mind is, it makes me think of a former guest I had on. Chai, she was the first female managing director for IBM. And she said when she was first offered the MD role, she rejected it. She was like, no, 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 I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And only many years later, then she decided she had to accept it. And she did. And she did a great job. And I wonder for you, did it cross your mind? Oh, I have no experience managing anyone. I have no experience being CEO. COO. I shouldn't accept it. Yeah, maybe because I think my I, I don't plan and I don't reflect that much and hence okay, like whatever thrown at me I do it that maybe that's sort of the mindset and hence I just take on it of course it takes the courage of Joel and Anisha for sight to say okay this random I think you person, should take some credit for yourself too I think for those people <laughs> that they, they took chance on a random person right I think that's where it is I think the yeah I think the not many people will have put, put a chance on it yeah maybe but you were chosen out of the 130 plus people at the time there? You mean at Groupon? Yeah. At that time, was when I joined, was 30 old people. Okay. Yeah, so the... Yeah, but almost everyone is fresh grad, right? Mm-hmm. So... And you were the only Ivy League one as well? Random. And I, I think I'm the third oldest there. 
the second oldest I shall not name because the person will kill me <laughs> for disclosing her age. But she was older than me by two weeks. Yeah. I mean, she really grateful. And then this was financial. Yeah. So being this, the age and everything, the rest were almost everyone fresh grad, right? But I think one thing interesting is like among the folks there as well, many of them have gone on and done very well, right? Yeah. right let's say Rafik right now is group MD of Media Prima. Still remember that when he first came for interview, we that those days we operate at night. He came before having dinner. He came at I think seven plus. Then we were late, so he by the time interview starts maybe eight. The interview dragged to eleven something p.m. He was hungry, but he didn't tell anyone of us. <laughs> yeah, so and then he joined us, and he left Maxis to join a small company operate on a bungalow, right? And in a swimming pool. Yes. <laughs> so those folks, and I think many of the folks went on and whether built startups, joined different companies and built multiple things. I think it's a interesting that something, the dreams start from somewhere, right? I think people that you interact with, they look back in each of that part, right? Whether in those Groupon journey, whether at a job street journey, whether a central journey, a lot of people's come together and look back. And what advice for everyone is that the folks that you work with at your earlier career, a lot of times after 5, 10, 15, 20 years, many folks go, go beyond. I know the US has a PayPal mafia. Here maybe we don't have that, but I guess it is that supporting and people go beyond. So I want to drag the attention back to you again. What I found interesting is when you offer the CEO role, you didn't ask for a salary rise. Yeah, because I technically am like, okay, lah, what I've got, got this chance to do, I never think too far. I mean, like no one will, in the right mind will offer, but also I was lucky lah. If I ask anything, maybe I don't get it anymore. So mm. I didn't ask. Do you think like from where you are standing now looking back, do you feel as though you wish and you would advise anyone who would be in your situation to have done it? I asked this because I recently interviewed another person who was Christie's top auctioneer. Yeah. And she was saying that for the first 10 years of her career, she was like, Christie's is my family. My boss tells me to be grateful. It's so glamorous. Be glad. Don't ask. And it was only after 10 years she realized, oh, I am less than one third of what the market is paying and I can barely make rent. And so she went in and she said, I demanded for what I was worth. And from then on, I never let another company take advantage yeah. of me. Yeah. So I think there are different school of thought. There's no right or wrong, I think, in the end. I think that the it depends on at what point you feel that opportunities means much, right? So I think back then, the I didn't ask for it. Maybe if I asked, maybe I didn't get that role. But you don't ask, you don't get yeah, but maybe if I ask, I don't get mm. I may get the increment, but I may not get a role. Mm -hmm. And I think at that point, I'm like, okay, la, I but at that time, I have no car. I was living in a very basic room, rented room, very basic lifestyle, right? So for me, I actually don't need much, right? Very simple. I was on public transport, train mostly, walking. So I think for me, is that, yeah, just pick the flow. But I think that a lot depends on circumstance. I won't say that which is better. And again, if you look at the fairness, is that maybe technically if you really compare, I'm not qualified to get the role. But because of that, I sort of got through. And then maybe forward down a few months later, Oliver Samuel called Joel and said, hey, why don't you go to Taiwan and do a turnaround? And Joel got that role to turn around Taiwan because he didn't ask for any money, any increment, any title, anything. Yes. And hence he got it. And because he got it, he called me middle of the night and said, let's go to Taiwan. Mm. I don't remember pick up the call, but my phone record did show that I picked up the call. <laughs> and according to Joel, I did answer say yes. And hence we went Taiwan. Joel went at the time and asked for something. Maybe yep. he don't get that role. And hence I didn't get to be the translator to go with him. 
So Taiwan's a very interesting case that we obviously have to talk about because at the time they were losing one million dollars, and then you within eight months managed to turn it around, so they made one eight thousand dollars in. And to be profit. honest, we know nothing, right? And hence yeah. we took up, right? Yeah, I think and Joel can't even speak Chinese. Minimal, right? He's broken Chinese stuff, right? I think if we had known how difficult it is, we known a lot of things, we would not have done it, right? So the I still remember we just went through there. So let's start from the beginning. I would love to unpack this, right? Yeah. Obviously, you found out why there was such a huge loss. We so didn't know beforehand, right? We didn't how did ask. you figure it out? I think that when we go there, then we started, okay, what's the business like? And then that's how we knew it. For us, we did we know how to fix it? We actually don't know. Mm -hmm. But I think we said, okay, let's... The team is so big. Let's look at one team at a time and we fix one group at a time. I still remember going to customer help service, right? And look at them and say, hey, how many percent of call miss? And they miss about 40% of phone calls. And I still remember and say, okay, that time is a Wednesday morning. So by Friday, we had to bring the phone call missing by down to less than 1%, right? If not all of us will lose the job. And I think before that, when we first got to Taiwan, the Monday and Tuesday, the first two days, we literally just sit down there and ask, the people question. So we first start with the leadership team there and ask one by one coming in and ask questions. And I had to be doing dual role translator as well because so the question will be answered in Mandarin except for a few people who can speak okay English. The rest will be in Mandarin and translate. And we ask people a random question, right? Why are you in the company in the first place? Today you can promote anyone who you promote. Today you can fire anyone who, who you fire. Do you can put yourself in any role? What role will you put in? What's most important to you? And rank it among life balance, salary, the titles, career progression, whatever. So I think it's a bunch of things. And we basically for two days, we hold ourselves not giving any opinion because we actually don't know much. New environment. For the Taiwanese as well, I think like they are not used to two young Malaysians walking there in the early 30s and say, we're going to manage that, right? They were all older than you, right? Yeah, some younger than us, but there's a bunch of people older than us, right? Yeah. So at that time it was 2011. So I was 30, Joe was 28, right? Mm. Actually late 20s, 11 in there, right? And 250 people. Yeah, so I think we didn't know best, but I think that was sort of give us a chance. So I think a lot of maybe advice to all is that when you don't know best, I think grab the chance and break down and go on it. I think there are some people saying that we're not ready, but there's never you're never fully ready for it, right? I think a lot of it is a jump on it, right? I think that the, let's say when you start this series, would you know exactly how to do it? Maybe not. You do it. When you go full-time, quit your jobs, do you know it? Maybe not. And I think a lot of time is, but then it's the step that go in. Because I think a lot of time is once you fully jump in, you got you don't have an easy way to return back. That's when you really crank up and really find a way to get it through. Yeah. If you have an easy backup plan, a lot of time is, okay, never mind. Lah. Fail, doesn't matter. I got it. I'm fine. I'm okay, right? Even actually it's for startups, right? Like I still remember back then, Kylie, after when we started KFIT that time, 2015, and we asked him why you invest in us. He said we invest in us because you all are taking the most risk in your life. Right? So I think a lot of it is that, right? The daring to jump in and take it, yeah. What other things were you doing to ensure that, you know, you could turn around the Taiwan business? It must have been more than making sure the calls were down to 1%. So that was the first team. And then we just yeah. go team by team and across. So we go in team by team. After a while, we see who is in the team, who we should let go. And I think working through team by team, the and every bit, right? I think it's observing, listening, understanding, asking questions, and then work together to find one bit at a time. 
do we have a grand plan? We don't. I think we were building on it every month. How do we reduce the losses? How do we optimize? How do we build that? And I think a lot of it is directionally we know where we're g o i n g to get to and go through. Maybe talking about this as well. Maybe I share one story on like a friend of mine, Johan. Back then he graduated from Duke University and he told his parents that okay, bring my luggage home. I'm going to cycle home. And I didn't remember ask him right from US how much practice you did. He said zero practice. Cycle from the US to. Yeah, so he cycled from Los Angeles to Washington DC, flew to Dublin, and from Dublin cycle back to Taipei. Oh, wow! And he used a compass and not a map. And he has zero practice. And I think what he shared with me 10 plus years ago, I still remember that he was like, "Okay, wake up one day, day one, you just cycle. You whatever you cycle, you cycle. When you rest, you rest, right? But after a few hours cycle, you actually improve on your cycling. So you just wake up day one, you can cycle whatever km you cycle, right? And then next day you wake up, you cycle again. After many days of cycling, you became a pro of cycling, right? And you just continue doing it, and because it doesn't require that much skills, more determination and angle, right? So think mm. of it. A lot of it is there, and then you find it, like, right? As you cycle through different ter- terrain, you learn. You go wrong road, then you you turn back. I think the same thing, right? And whatever you do, think of the north star you want to get towards. And I think in the end, is none of us will know perfectly. When Tony Fernandez started his airline, did he know airline? Well, he, he doesn't, right? Most of us in any aspects, right, would never know perfectly, right? But I think in the end is that with the big picture, knowing your why. So that's why I think this series of talk is talking about the why as well. I think then from there, go on it because in the end, is your inner strength, your passion, your spirit that will carry you through. But what about? Ping pong tables and Nintendos. How does that relate to finding the why? Because I hear you also brought that to the Taiwan team, right? Yeah. And it made me think of all these tech companies, obviously who are suffering now, and they're trying to keep them happy, make sure that they don't go off campus. And then there's a whole, but are they? Should you really be doing that, offering that to the employee? What were your thoughts behind? Yeah, that? I think Taiwanese was a very disciplined, right? I just remember when they, I still remember the bells, right? That ringing, right? The so the bells ringing at twelve thirty for lunch break, rolling back at one thirty for post lunch break, and then evening at six thirty a ring bell, people go home right. So the Taiwanese was a very structured society right. The people were very the disciplined. I still remember that the at one o'clock one ten p.m. you walk back in office, people were sleeping, taking nap. Because they will wait for the bell at one thirty to wake up. You think of it like a high school, right? The school bell, right? During recess, we don't work, we we don't do anything. We break, and then when the bell ring, you start back, right? So, and I think that when we did that, we want to take away from that. We need the people. And when we first put all this Nintendo and all this thing, ping pong table there, no one plays, because to them it's like, hey, the company is not doing well. Playing it doesn't make sense. So we have to literally drag people to play. We ourselves go there, and then through that you build ties. Because think of it, two random foreigners walk into the country, and we were lucky. I think some of the folks like think as remember Maggie, Jackie, and many others there were helping us, and some of them brought our parents, their parents to bring us. Now Maggie, her parents to drive us to visit multiple things. We can people accept us as a family going through. So I think that right. I think building that rapport. I think that I think that if you were to ask me what is my second country back then, right, that really feel quite 
at home is there. Taiwan, the people really welcome it, and I think that helps us because or else it would be very different. And I think the Joel tried to pick up his Mandarin as well after the the eight months at the end. There, he can literally do all hands some Mandarin, not perfect Mandarin, but good enough to give a speech in Mandarin. You ended up co-founding KFit. How did that come in? It was quite random, to be honest. I didn't think of founding a company. No plan again in the life. The and I was I got two he entered into two roles. One was with a telco to lead a postpaid, and one was with a ride-hailing company to start the bike business. And I was thinking, okay, they got these two offers. I call up Joel and say, hey, maybe I should quit and go join one of the two, right? And he was skiing in Japan. Two hours later, he called me by and say, "Why don't we start a company?" So I thought, okay, now I've got three options. So why don't I just resign first and decide on one of these three options? And you chose to pick the riskiest option. I think the decision to quit, send out the resignation letter was Monday night. I think, and then the Katik, who was the CEO at that time, called up Joe and say, "Hey, did he this guy plan to leave?" And then Joe was like, "Because he because." You know, he called Joel asking him about me leaving, and then Joel was like, "Ah, uh, yeah, I think he want to leave." And then he asked him, "Hey," and then he found that Joel doesn't try to keep me. Then he asked Joel the question, "Do you plan to leave as well?" And I think that's sort of how. And then he flew in on Thursday. He came to KL, PJ to be precise. Where I was a PJ at that time. Like I met him at 2 p.m. Told him I want to quit, and he said, "Yeah, today's the last day." So I went to work that day, didn't think that that day was my last day. And then I only decided the option on that night, that Thursday night, yeah. lying on my bed. I said, "Okay, which one should I pick?" Ah, huh? one is a big company, corporate job, good pay, like yeah. maybe in you know, some people term it as retirement job. Yeah. Like another one is a large scale startup, just became unicorn. Maybe it's in between kind of life, and the other one is. Take zero pay, put in your life saving, and go in there and do know what it is, right? Yes. <laughs> and didn't know best. I picked this thing. Why? Why? What was leading you there? I didn't think too far, to be honest. I think that the next morning, Joe is like, okay, we let's go meet, interview some candidates. So I just went and then like we just go on it, lah. Right? Got no laptop because on the Thursday I went to work, didn't think that my laptop was taken away. The laptop was taken away, so I got no laptop myself and everything. So I think, to be honest, I didn't plan, didn't think. But if you didn't think, surely your first thought would be, I'll just take the most comfortable, best-paying job. Full stop. Well, I wouldn't think further. Maybe I guess Joe was com- in a way said, okay, let's go do it for it. I've been working with him for at the time four years already. Yeah. And just, Is it hard to say no to him? I mean, he's very convincing. <laughs> Generally, if he wants something, he will get it. Whatever he wants, he will pursue it. Right? Yeah. It's very different. He knows how to angle to go on it and do whatever it takes to get it. Right? Yeah. So you probably saw that there was a future with this person who. He's so focused. If he wants something, he'll get it. So it doesn't matter what it is. It's follow that. I think a lot of it is a, maybe that's a more comfort, least changes in a way. Mm. In some ways, yes, there's a changes in the startup, and because I don't know much as well the startup, right? Then I was not in a startup, real startup ecosystem. Didn't know much, so it's like okay, lah. Let me just yeah. didn't know what it, it takes, lah. Right, to be honest. Hey everyone, just a gentle reminder that steamy episodes like this one and they're open to sponsorships, and this is one of the spots that you can get. To be honest, Steamy is not gonna accept everyone because we want to make sure that your mission aligns with the interests of the Steamy community. So yes, dear listeners, I'm putting you first. But if you're interested, please do drop an email at sothismywife@gmail.com and let's start chatting. All right, now let's get back to this episode 
for those who don't know what KeyFit is, it's basically a fitness sharing platform. So you need the merchants, you also need the customers. Obviously, chicken egg situation. How did you solve it? Yeah, so I think those days for KeyFit, like we went on and signed up gym studios in each cities and then plug it in, right? I think we launched whenever the city has 50 people. And I think that time we were lucky as well. Grab just became the first unicorn. And at that time, people wanting to invest money. So we were able to raise some early funding quite fast. One million dollars from family and friends. Family and friends, it, yeah. It's so, not a small amount. Yeah, and that raised on the same day that Joe attended his presentation, went to media. And within a few hours, we raised that amount. We were lucky. I think those these two days is very not going to happen. I think those days, was it was just that, yeah, the news came about. I think, if I don't remember wrongly, it's March 31st, 2011. The news went up and then... Yeah, people, the phone just went non-stop and then that day we got it, right? I think it was a bet on it. I think thanks to a lot of those people that trusted and bet on it. I guess the timing as well. I think we were there and then subsequently some of our Groupon friends that who left, let's say Ang and Gang, Eugene, they all went on to build helper at that time, give the, the Adlin, Puvernesh, they all went on and built Bimalas. We both raced as well, right? I think few hundred thousands and whatnot. So I think that the debt market that time, and today a lot of Malaysian startups were still from those days. Actually, if you think about it that way, I think people were betting on Nick Kylie, 500 startups were going out, really propagating it. Cheryl, you was at Magic building on. I think there were a few things that lined up. I think right timing, there was the early days of this. But I think we were lucky to get that. So I think that to me, I didn't think that far. What is the... Right thing, I think a lot of time it's just a like decision, okay, yeah. Most days live one day at a time, think of the big picture, but just continue one day at a time, right? Like, let's say, like today, this thing, I didn't actually think, okay, what is going to be this? I just go to flow. <laughs> yeah, it's on me anyway. You're not supposed to have to prep anything. So I really want to talk about the funding part because I think it's very interesting. I learned that Peter Kemp from Sequoia was involved. How was he involved? And firstly, in KFIT and how involved? See. Yeah, so I think that that time Peter just left AWS, right, to join Sequoia. So he was the second person in Southeast Asia with Sequoia at the time, after Ying Lan, who went on, eventually went on to set up Insignia as well, right? One fun fact, Ying Lan and me, took back in 2003, when I turned down the internship, went to visit the holiday in China, Ying Lan was in the same bus <laughs> in that trip, right? Back to Peter Camps, right? I think that time he just joined Sequoia, new in VC world and I think that he was trying to understand on a startup and one of the time he went shisha drinking with his ex-AWS colleagues and talking about which startups appeared. Then they heard about Azumi, who is our CTO from then, going going to be. At that time, Zumi still working at SAIS, which is the other company that Joe and Kylie had. They heard that Zumi going to moonlighting for this startup called KFIT and started going to potentially maybe join the startups. So then Peter literally dropped a LinkedIn message to Joel and said free to meet up. And then at that time, our company were nothing, right? We were trying to close that, collect the $1 million that we collect from family and friends. Zero revenue, zero customer. We had a one-page website to collect email address, try to build the first version of the app before launch. And Peter said, yeah, come and have a chat. We didn't know anything. We said, yeah, not yet. And then after that, we went to Singapore to open a bank account a couple of weeks later. So so Joel basically told Peter and said, hey, yeah, we're coming to Singapore. We didn't say open bank account. Like I went to bank, open bank account. Joel went to meet him. And Peter said, oh, coffee. Yeah, come into the room. Went to the room. TV screen has all the partners. 
Shalendra was there. So Shalendra is a legendary guy that invested in Gojek, Tokopedia, and a bunch of others. Yinglan was there as well. So Yinglan was together there, and they did Meituan, invest in Meituan as well. And then Peter and folks, right? And then, yeah, if it were me, I would have failed. They said, okay, put out the slides. They said, got no slides. They moved the video screen, go to the whiteboard. Joe went and tell the story. So as I opened a bank account, I finished the bank account open, Joel got the term sheet. That night, they said that, yeah, they're going to potentially invest in us. And that was a 2.25 million US dollar investment. And the next morning is a due diligence. So we have to immediately ping people at Zoomi and all those people and say, oh, take emergency leave. So the next morning, we turn our office. And Peter, because he flew in from Singapore first flight, he arrived before we arrived. So he went to a place that has no logo, nothing, and no one there. Because we use Kylie's co-working space in the early days of the co-working space where not formally co-working space. So that was how it started. Yeah, and then Peter took a bet on us. How do you think about the kind of people that you want to raise funds from? Because you have to manage the different personalities, right? Yeah. So I think a lot of times, of course, not often you have a choice. Yes. Because a lot of times when the option money come in, you don't really have a chance to compare. Of course, some people may have the luxury, but a lot of times we don't. Every investor is different. So one is the angel investor, individual, right? And the other one is also VCs by firm, right? Or corporates, right? And they all have a different folks there as well. So it's not even the same at different people, right? So I think each of them may have slightly different, but I think a lot of it is that everyone is different. So I think the question is, you as a founders that we need to raise money from investors, what do you look for? Do you look for network? If you look at network, let's say think of Southeast Asia, then someone like Kylie will come on the top of the mind, right? He knows everyone, literally everyone around the world. Super right? connected. Super connected. He has done about close to 300 investments in Southeast Asia. Know everyone, right? But of course, when he invests 300 companies, he won't have time to spend everyone, all right? But there's a super networker, super big picture, idea, crazy, caring, right? Little by little, who won't be the one that sit next to you, go through everything. Right, I think if you look at different, every investor is slightly different, right? Peter, he is like a strong proponent of the company, right? So remember, every time he would meet anyone, he would be like, oh, telling people about faith. Oh, that time KFIT, right? And after that faith, right? He's like, go everywhere. The super proponent, he always tries to link us up. And the same thing when he became investing in other startups also, he'll try to link us up, match make across. So he's always that way, right? Yeah. Very passionate, detailed. He treats like his own company. Quibi, mm-hmm. who invested us through Asiatan, Digital Innovation Fund, but Kribi also earlier days was of early people with Steve Siad first bet on Joe and Kylie. Yeah, Kribi is very motherly. She will have breakfast with you and will give you very motherly advice. That type, right? Very caring, spend the time with you, spend a lot of hours with you and go on it, right? So, and then we will advise you not to take too much risk, look at this thing, get the profitability. So each of them are very different. Right, and I think of like people like Shalendra or Yingline is very big picture looking at it. People like Rich Su from SIG, he's like very finance driven looking at it. And there's no right or wrong as you go look at it, right? And and let's go on different folks. But I think that everyone has strength at something. I think in the end, it's what you look for. Do you want investors that's giving you money besides money? I think there's money, but then beyond money, what else you look for? And I think a lot of it is how to complement what you need, right? And connect. And then I think that's sort of where you go in. And of course, a lot of time is also chemistry, right? So each person is in a certain way, but that chemistry may or may not build well. The trust may or may not build well as well, right? So I think that, let's say for myself, I'm also an angel investor, right? So I think like, okay, 
is someone that I don't really check in your numbers. Someone that if you because being a founder as well, so I can share on the founders part, and also because I invest a lot other startups, I can see the both parts right and going through. And that. so I think the so I think everyone is very different. Let's say Joel as an investor here, even as an operator, he's very big picture connecting the dots. So I think everyone is unique. So I think the question is what kind of people you want to to get from, right? Yeah, because each time once you take the person's money, there's a long term relationship, right? It's a marriage. Yeah. So it's like maybe it's just different, slightly different marriage is instead of one to one, this is one to many and many to many. Yes. Right, because investor invest multiple different businesses and likely who you take money from different investors. How do you find out exactly who and what these investors are like in person? Because clearly this is insider knowledge. And if you're coming, you're raising early funds, early rounds, you will know the right people, you wouldn't have the right information. What's your advice for them? Yeah, so I think the level one, very first layer is just go on YouTube or somewhere and watch a few videos of them, right? Maybe you don't know perfectly, but at least you see how they are. So I think that's one. Maybe the other one is go to their events or where they're speaking and then watch them live as well. And then I think get a, a talk to people. I think the circle, I think the community is very close-knit. People, let's say like in the Malaysian startup, Unicrosh, that Warren Liao back then started when, when he was in Magic and now I think continue with a bunch of moderators, all voluntary and people coming together. So I think that people in the circles are very willing to share. I think whenever people know that someone newly started through, people went in difficulty, people are there to go through, right? So I think that the seek for help, but of course don't take it for granted, right? I think that eventually, I think just like what I a lot of times sharing with our own faith team as well in any career that people, people that mentor, I mentored that's like, no one cares more about you than you yourself. And I think the same thing here, right? No one who care more than it. So I think a lot of it is you go out there, size it up and connect. How much you want to know these people? How much you go through, right? Let's say like today, this conversation, you, you did so much finding out, right? That, that uh, on your own way, right? And I think is that passion, is that curiosity, maybe the curiosity, the dedication in what you do. In the end, it's like, as you build your own journey, startup, or it could be a non-profit, right? Or a community or anything, right? Is that how much you want this to succeed? What this means to you? Why you are doing it? You've got so many other choices of things you can do. Why you dedicate your life to this? Why you choose to, so some people hustling over weekends, evenings, beyond your full-time jobs. Why you do that? There are so many other things you can go enjoy. Why do you do that? So that why is going to keep you going. So how do you go on that, right? And continuously. And with that, why is strong? So a lot of times when I, when I meet a founder, I understand their why. Why you do it? If you want to make more money, there's a lot more easier way to make money. You want to be glamorous, there are many other ways to be glamorous. You want a good work-life balance, there are many more ways. I know that back then, Job Street, Mark Chang, when he first started, he thought that he started a company, he can go drink coffee at any hour. <laughs> and he got it after 19 years, right? When he sold the company for 1.9 billion ringgit. And when he got it, people said overnight success. But he said that overnight success took him 19 years. Took him from his early 30s to early 50s, right? That's a 19 years of journey. And people still think that it's too fast, right? So I think, but it's that, right? I think it's that balancing and going through. Yeah. Speaking of why, why did KFIT turn into faith? What's the yeah. journey? So 
what I think that back then the K fit. So I think back then when we left Groupon, we can't do a lot of other things. So and K fit, I know me and K fit doesn't work as well. Joel called me K fat. So <laughs> yeah, and and one thing is that throughout the whole K fit time, right? I only attended 10 minutes of K fit class, <laughs> right? So technically, did I'm you the, feel guilty? I tried to go one class and I couldn't survive after 10 minutes. I was lying down. Throw, throw up, right? Yeah. I didn't dare to tell the instructor I'm a K-Fit founder. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. I mean, like you're not supposed to be fit. And my my friends were like inviting me to go home. Remember, tell me, oh, excitedly that I'm K-Fit customer going this class, that class. And I'm like, and my friends are like, okay, let's go together this class, that class. I have to create 10,000 reasons why I couldn't go for those classes. Did you not think at the time that you had to make all these different excuses that actually there's a whole section of people just like you Who will make excuses? Maybe I can create something where you wouldn't feel inclined towards creating all these excuses. Yeah. Good question. Yeah, I think makes sense. It's just that I didn't think of it at the time. Mm. Yeah, and I think that from there we did it for a while, and I think we found that actually a lot of KFit users. We did focus group and everything. The KFit users, a lot of them actually are couples, went there to attend activities. So I think if you really want the fitness, train your muscles, lose weight, you always go back the same instructor. So KFit model is every month you can only go maximum two three times in the same place. So you will go multiple different places. Who else will go there? Couples or people that who just became single. We actually found an interesting way that a lot of the top customers were either they just start dating or they just became single. Like either way drive them towards that, right? Or people that who just got engaged, they want to exercise so that they and while have going out together still with their. Partner, but exercise so that they can fit into their wedding gown, right? So I think it's that segment, and I think why fit from that is that we did it for almost a year. We expanded KFIT into eight countries in five months. Failed in quite a few. One day, I think Groupon came to us and say, "Hey, they wanted to potentially shut down or sell Groupon Indonesia. Are we interested? We have never bought a company. We mm-hmm. thought that it's cool and fun to buy a company. Mm-hmm. Never knew what it is. We literally negotiated via WhatsApp." And when they ask us what price we think, oh yeah, this price. And why this price? What multiples? We don't know. It's like expensive. <laughs> so it's literally pasar malam negotiation, night market negotiation. Except behind got more zero. And we got a chance to buy Groupon Indonesia. Within two months, we sort of doubled it. And then Groupon came and said, Hey, do you want Malaysia? And Malaysia was part of like we used to build it up. So remember, we stand out a few of us there asking, should we do it? And then we look at each other. And say yeah, let's do it. So it's to be honest, sentimental, half also. sentimental, half logical, and it's like did it. So it was that right. And I think that from there, after we got all this thing, and after that we got Groupon in Singapore as well. Then our directors, including Peter, was saying, okay, yeah, we need to turn it into something, put it into one platform and everything. So that's how Faith came about. I want to talk about Malaysia because that was pretty difficult. One of the things you had to do was to downsize by 50%. What was that like? Because obviously layoffs are happening a lot. There really isn't a right way of doing it. What was your experience? Yeah. So this was. So we after. So that time, think of KFIT. Right. This was late twen November twenty sixteen. Right. KFIT. We just bought Groupon Malaysia. Yeah. And we have the KFIT folks about hundred twenty people. We have hundred twenty people here, and from Groupon Malaysia. So we do want a company of two hundred forty. We can't afford two hundred forty. Right. So what we want the decided thought is like, how do we make it pain as painless as possible? I think that a lot of time when we do this is the there's a logical part and there's an emotional part. Logical part is what decision you need to make, right? This decision: do we need to do re- layoff or reduction? We need to. 
the facts said that, right? After all those things, we know we can't afford this many people. We need to do it. So the facts said that. Then the question is, how do we do it? That's when I think the emotional, and I think a lot of times on this emotional part, is that do unto others what you wish others do unto you. Have we done perfectly? Maybe not. But have we put our heart and soul in looking at how to do it? Yes. Mm. Right. So I think it's a lot of that. And I still remember when we did it, is we tried to do it as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. So within the day two of the acquisition group of Malaysia, people know whether they are in the team or they are out of the team. Yeah. And we provide fair compensation to people, help the people, whoever we can, to try to get more opportunities, job interviews, everything. So I think that is reduce the uncertainty period. So think of it, if we were us at that employee at that time, we don't want to be in a limbo and don't know whether I'm part in or out. So yeah. that time when we did that, in, when we bought Group of Malaysia, yeah, by day two, everyone knows you're in or you're out. Of course, we were lucky that we were there for a while. So we knew some some of the history of the people who who fits in the plan. Of course, there's two parts. One is what fits in the plan. We decided to shut down physical products. We decided that customer service is not going to have phone calls. So vouchers are going to be virtual, digital. So there are a few things that we sort of did it. Then the, so based on that, we sort of optimize some bit and then like what kind of people want and then we quickly make those decisions and move on. So I think that a lot of it is that we will never know perfectly but I think divide the decision into logical and emotional decision. And did you come in straight and just say, this is what's going to happen, half of you will be gone and we will tell you in one, two days? So like it's Monday morning, we inform the team that we acquire. Yeah. We'll tell people that we'll need to do some, some of you will get the job, some of you may not and yeah. this is what happened. So we'll basically put out a bunch of roles for people to apply and basically the next day morning was interview process. Tuesday morning. So people go for multiple interviews. Tuesday afternoon, we do a one-on-one to inform who stays and who not. And then Tuesday evening, we did all hands for every people that stay. Mm, okay. Yeah, so it was quite fast-paced. I think yeah. compared to a lot of M&As, people don't do that fast. But I think we decided that faster makes it less ambiguous for people. Yeah. But of course, we were aided by because we were part of that business. So yeah. we knew inside out. That, that enable us to do it faster. If it today is a pure new business, mm-hmm. we like who won't be able to execute at that speed. I thought what was interesting is that you said before, a lot of people who were let go are still friends, which is extremely rare. And I'm thinking of, for instance, recently there was a Google layoff and they communicated via email. There was short confusion, lots of anger. So would you say the one-on-one, the speed, all these things contributed to you maintaining those relationships? For Google One, I don't know enough, but I mm. think that there are enough folks there that put a lot of heart and soul as well. Yeah. Like I know Mark who used to run Google Malaysia. Mm. I know he put in a lot of heart and soul into that as well, right? To, to understand. I think that the a lot of time from the media and where it is may not be perfectly congruent as well. I think in the end is that everyone is a human being. Mm-hmm. Everyone may have a family, may have obligation, may have different things. Mm-hmm. I think a lot is understanding, right? One is the formal actions on mm-hmm. it, but I think the other one, and I think also people look at your history of how you treat people. Mm. So it's, a lot of times it's not even that. And of course, is is could it be a shocker? How is it and everything? So I think there are multiple play. And I think every time you have to do something like this, hopefully not often, it's different because the scenario is different. 
the people are different, the condition, the emotion is different. Mm. I think Google and a lot of some of those is that it what came to us be a surprise because people that who joined this global giants didn't think that one day this will happen. Yeah, and I think that sort of that right. So even though you could try to convey it well, people doesn't think so, mm. and hence the acceptance of it is. Quite different than earlier stage companies and whatnot, but of course, yeah, no right or wrong. In the end, I don't know fully how well they did, but I think it, you know, it's the put your hearts and then use your heart to speak here. Another thing I want to talk about is integration. Obviously, you're bringing two entirely different workforces together. You might know them, but not everyone does. How do you ensure that these two workforces meld to become one entity with the same culture? Yeah, not easy. So I think by example, remember that Tuesday evening we announced that. Yeah. So on the Wednesday, we basically actually rent buses for these people to come from the Groupon office to move to the KFIT office. And I still remember we did the, sorry, the flower, the flower... Oh, the welcoming flower, flower thing, garden. Yeah, on that. <laughs> and then we basically welcome everyone and we sort of redo the seats where the, you sit by team so that with your new team together so that I think that people became part of it together rather than you are now... Uh, how to call it, the Enemies. separated, yeah. And then that whole night, week, I think Anisha and team put in a lot of efforts and that whole week, the every night there is some activities, right? The, I think that, that whether badminton to social and not easy, right? And I still remember as we go through that as well, there were some people that who felt that, hey, we are a traitor, we went to shut down the group of brand. Mm. And everything because at the time, including moving over, we also stopped the Groupon brand. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that have lots of memories, right? People the first jobs. And at that time, I can't remember, maybe about 10 marriages, or at least maybe not 10 marriages at the time, many, many couples at the time, right? That eventually become more than 10 marriages, right? So I think the, the emotion and everything. Yeah. So I still remember that that same Friday, we actually throw the final party at the old Groupon office. Everyone would, and I still remember that at night we we say that after group final group photo we say everyone can take away a piece of whatever you see. You like that beanbag, you take it. You want to break the glass, go and break the glass because we're not tear down that office, right? So I think the, I think that closure. I think the yeah, it's not easy, but I think it's a closure. Group. Yeah, I want to talk about China because you've been to China. You were there for this program by Alibaba to visit Hangzhou which will lead us very nicely later into COVID. I wonder, because unless you've been to China, you don't realize just how advanced it is, so much more than the rest of the world. And I imagine you went there and you were also very inspired by some of the things that you saw and wanted to bring it back. What were some of the observations you made and how did you try to localize it? Yeah, so I think that the, I went, so I think that the, went few times to China. And actually my first time, just I mentioned with the Yingland France Insignia, right, as a career back then. So in 2003, we went as a student. So that was the first time I went as, a, they call it China Synergy Program. Mm. So basically it's a, where the Chinese, China government brought the Chinese descendants. So we visited multiple parts of China. Then in 2009, 10 and 12, I actually went back to China. 2010, 2012 for the reunion of that. 2009, supposed to be reunion. And I think H1N1 or, or something happened. Then we went to Inner Mongolia to see. So I've seen a few rounds at early days. 2003 when I went there, where infrastructure was very different. Even in 2009 when I tried to go Inner Mongolia, people were fighting to go on the train. And 
fast forward at 2019, we went Alibaba had these e-founders, which some of the Malaysian founders were in those programs or very different batches as well. Is that we got a two weeks glimpse of how life at Alibaba, right? And and they, they gave us also access of Alipay, just like a China citizen. So it was quite interesting that we get to use things that basically go there, think of the app, and basically with the app, you can do anything and everything, right? Pay, not just paying, today you go to the toilet, you want to get toilet paper, you scan the app QR, the toilet paper came up. You went to bus, there's a scanning, you went to power bank, you do that. You want to pay for anything, bicycles or whatever, it's all through an app, right? So I think it's interesting, and let's say you go to the restaurant to eat, like they wait, the waiter is not going to ask you what to eat. You, the QR stick on there, you scan it, then you order, right? And some of them, they actually tell you like, okay, this dishes has been ordered by 900 people. This dish right, ordered by 344 people, right? So sometimes by eating is I just sort out which dish is most people ordered, just order that same thing. It makes so much sense. Right? So today, imagine that in this part of the world, we actually know which dishes is ordered by more people, right? So I think it's like that play. And I think that the... Alibaba was very willing to share with us, not just about it, we got a chance to see a different part of their business, but also the other part is on the culture. I think how they ran it, how they run performance management, how they do... Income. What was the culture like? I think that the one part of it was interesting was that every deck start with their vision, mission and values, right? Right? And the, the and like one part, one, one of it is like, if not me, who? If not now, when? Right? And there, there are multiple parts of it where they, they their mission and everything. And they actually challenge us and go to the campus and meet any Alibaba employee. And there were tens of thousands of these people. Ask them these things and they will answer you. Right? So, and it's quite interesting that the how they look at it, right? And I think that for us from Southeast Asia, we sort of get a glimpse of it at different... We went to village where Taobao, it's called Taobao, it's a Taobao village where everyone was working on different things on Taobao. I think it's opened the minds to see it and that was, and we were there at that time, the same time when Wuhan just started yeah. with the COVID, yeah. So Wuhan obviously leading us to COVID definitely had a huge impact on you. One of the things I noticed that you ran was this thing called Save on Faith. Could you just share a bit about that campaign, what it's all about? Yeah, so I think that time, this was in 2020 COVID hit, right? I think that the business was affected badly. So I think you still remember that the like Malaysia, March 18 versus March 17 was when the Malaysia had lockdown, our business went down 90% on that day, right? So it was a big hit and whatnot. So the we decide, the, then I think that one part of it, I think merchants is cash flow, right? So I think that time Datuk Jake was with us as well. Datuk Jake was the, the Jack man. And for those of you that listen to the radios, the DJs, right? And I think that that time we were like thinking, okay, how to help the merchants? I think one of it, that time we have these e-card features that newly launched just before COVID, right? And basically enable consumers to basically pay for, let's say, example, 45 ringgit for 50 ringgit worth of e-cards. Think of a stock value for Starbucks, except that this enable and other brands to do it. And basically when you paid this, we basically pay the merchant fast, right? We do charge a fee for that, but during the COVID period, we basically say we're not going to take anything, right? We will absorb even the payment giveaway fee, everything, and 100% of the money go to the merchant, and it's go to merchant early, 
So basically the customer has six months to use after that, but the merchant got the money and that was sort of a cash flow for some of them to go through. Mm-hmm. And I think that Jake was able to pull in a bunch of celebrities, mm. Harap Iskandar and those people to went on it and encourage people to do it as well. So I think it was interesting to see and all the celebrities are doing like to, to help and promote. So I think it was during COVID, I think we see a lot of humanitarian, right? People come together, rally together. Yeah. The FMB support group, which is a WhatsApp group that still runs to today, the restaurant owners. Before COVID, a lot of them were seeing each other as a competitors. Yeah. During COVID, they became friends and until today. Yeah. I imagine during this period, even though you were not taking any commission, you were getting all this extra publicity. You were getting lots of merchants signing on than ever before and they probably stay on even after the pandemic. Yeah. Would you say that there was quite a lot of benefit from yeah. I think that. it's indirect, but I think at that time yeah. we were focused on like how do we help one more merchants go through, right? And different mm. people did different things. Like StarHub did with their beep. Yeah. I think there are many, many companies did different different things, different, different outreach, right? And I think in the end is that how do we together the make a difference in the community? In April 2021, Faith was acquired by Pine Labs. How do you decide that you were ready to be acquired and that they were the right party? Yeah, so I think that the during COVID as well, this happened. I think that the that time we didn't have that much options as well. To be honest, right? I think that the we had got another investors in options as well, and I think that this sort of the one that I guess with the one that mo- most of it we think that most workable with all the investors, our existing investors, and I guess they took a bet on us. Amrish that time, yeah, his wife was a customer. And he found out about Faith. He he checked it out through his wife. Then Cruz Sequoia connected to us. And I think they invested first and eventually acquired us, right? So I think that the it was I think the we I we only met Amrish close to slightly before below two years after that. In, I think Joe met Amrish late twenty twenty one, which is one and a half years after they invested us, mm-hmm. right? And then many months after they bought us, right? And the whole thing was done via virtual, right? Zoom, WhatsApp, whatever you call it, right? And I think the there was a lot of trust that going in there. I think Synergy, they were very dominant in the terminal, credit card terminals in India. They are rebuilding up some business in Malaysia mm-hmm. where Chai and Sharad and the gang were doing it. And I think for for them, they also wanted to bring faith consumer solutions into India. Mm-hmm. So I think it was this, and after the invest, we tried to build a solution together with them for India. And we test market with it. And I think that's a sort of, and eventually they started to fully acquire us and we became part of Palabs Group. And another big change was last month, February 2023, Joel left as well. I wonder what impact there is on yourself and also the company for a co-founder who was clearly so integral to the company leaving. I mean, what is that like? Yeah, so I think I worked with Joel for 12 years, right, fully. And I think that I still remember that serendipity was on the 14th of February at that time. You have an it, amazing memory for numbers. <laughs> yeah, I actually didn't know, ex- I knew roughly that time, I don't know exactly. And it was at that minute as well, right? The And while, while he was giving talk sharing to the team on his farewell, like answer Q and AMA, ask me anything kind of thing. And I was like, hey, feels like this could be on this day. And I checked it was not just on this day, but it's on this minute that Anisha sent me the offer letter for that inside sales manager, telesales agent, right? So exactly 12 years, right? So I think if you think on it, 
di I think Joe, Anisha, and of course other folks like Audra, Zumi, and many others. I think were deeply Shina has been EA with us for all these years, and many other folks, right? So I think that the time frame that we went in, I think that Joel living, I think he pulled me from think of it like for from someone that who took on a telesales job to give me opportunities going around. Many of those would not have that to do it. I think he's someone that supervisionary, problem solver, big picture, connecting the dots, always things from the other angle, positive energy. Yeah, very different. I think I am this number, boring details and whatnot, right? So I think it's like different, but I think a lot of trust. I think like a lot of agreements that he signed without reading. Yeah. Right. He just trusts that. Yeah. I wonder if I was to ask this question to Joel, because clearly you have so many good things to say to Joel, right? And if I was to pose the question, imagine to Joel saying, "Why? What's so great about Chen Zhao? Why would you work with him? What would you imagine he would say about you? The yeah. positive things? He would definitely not say boring. I'm sure, because he clearly trusts me so much. Yeah. Good question. Maybe you, you, you should have him as a guest. <laughs> yeah, but I think that the. I think he always speak good regards on people, right? Yeah. I think that, yeah. And What I do you think, think are your best, strongest features? I think trust and reliability on the day to day. We know what is each other's strength and gap, and he's very good at leveraging that, driving through the. Yeah. So he's big picture, but you're the one who's executing the very details. detailed. And maybe routine stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Boring routine stuff. It's not something that he super wanting to do, right? He's always go for excitement, new things, building on it. So I think is that. I think the. Trust. I think he has. He trusts a lot, and I think that that sort of built through. So I think the. Yeah, I will leave it to you to maybe one day converse with him. Yeah, never met him, so I can't say anything. So I imagine with Joel, driven, larger than life, sounds like it, charismatic. With him gone, do you think that you might stay with Faith or to move yeah. on? So I think that the teams are there. I think that yeah. the trust with the team working together. I think. Yeah. I think with Joel leaving, it's more important that for me to stay on together yeah. with the team going through. I think there are many people that dedicated five years, ten years, twelve years together with this journey, right? Ten plus years. I think for Joel, I think that as he step on and he's still so searching to decide what's his next future move fully on it. I think that for him, yeah, having the time to think through. And I think that for me, I think be there with the team together, growing through. There's a lot of learning curve as well. Working with Amrish and Pinelabs teams to look at it, and I think connecting the dots, bringing the team closer. Working a leadership team, yeah. AJ and the gang that who run Singapore, AKA and the gang from Malaysia, Avin Zumi, Audra that run all different parts, and various other teams, right? So I think that the working through that. So I think for me, is that the. Going through that, that's where that I'm on. I don't like. I'm a person that okay with routine, right? Eating the same food every day is perfectly fine. Working on the same thing, so so I think the consistency, reliability is there, right? Loyalty. So I think that's where I am, yeah. I want to end before my final round questions with a question I heard once from a VC, which is I really really liked, which was. Who is a competitor that you admire and why? Yeah, maybe I won't call it fully competitor, yeah. but let's say someone in the platform, like let's say Anthony Tan, right? Mm. So they founded a Grab, 
I think that he's someone that I think visionary, driving through, caring the team, living the four H value of Grab, right? I think the consistently be there, down to earth, the inspirations, and I think yeah, we always try to find an angle to work across, and he's a balanced life with families, right? Four kids going to feed for him with his wife Chloe. I think the anyone and everyone he would spend time talking to. He used to go to church frequently, exercise frequently, and everything. Right? I think that there's a lot of that. That really admire respect of him. I think that the when we first started K Fit, I still remember that he said that yeah, we are kakilang, we are the same roots, and he offered to help us. Yeah, one two weeks ago, I was in Singapore, and I was talking to one of my colleagues who nearly going to join us. Haley, and then she saw behind us Anthony behind. He went over there and chat with him. Yeah, and on that day he was actually on annual leave, but decided that board and came back to work. And he was spending time talking with us, right? And then be very welcoming. So I think that is that right? A genuine folks that go out there. Yeah. So I think that the there's lots more for me to learn from him and from many other folks. I think Joel definitely I learned a lot. Everything, everyone. I think that anyone and everyone we meet, there's something we learn at. I think the key is that be oneself as well. I, and I think that maybe one thing that leave with the audience is that instead of trying to improve on our weakness, focus on our strength and make it world class. Mm-hmm. Well, do, do you think at this point in time that you have found your why? Yeah, so I think for me, each day living one day at a time, I think instead of thinking far beyond and everything, I think is think one day at a time living one day at a time and I think my why is just that everyone I meet can I make their day a bit better can I leave one more smiles to people can I from a conversation whether for with friends could I help to maybe inspire a bit align a bit give some idea connect a bit to people and whatnot. I think it's every bit like one bit at a time one person at a time and a lot of time you never know I think everyone as they go on live on and I've seen many of those folks when way beyond what I could achieve and I think they go on there and I think that's what enjoy I think a lot of time is like doing anything without expecting anything in return I think in the end a lot of time the joy is that the joy that we get is that seeing people happy seeing people successful seeing people relieved of their problem seeing people and I think a lot of times we can't please any, everyone as well I think everyone will see from different angles. So I think a lot of time it's just that look at own self and ask ourselves for everything that we do, do we think we do it with our genuine heart? People may misunderstood. People may disagree. People may be upset or anything. We can try our best to explain. We can try our best to it. But in the end is that do we think we pass through our own self that we do it for the genuine on that yeah, I think that's the most important thing I think all of us have needs right a different book whether emotional whether even ego ideally we don't have but that is a fact right money titles work-life balance everything right that is there I think in the end is the balance and I think that it's okay for sometimes that yeah we I don't call it in I don't know whether it indulge the right word but having some of that, 
But I think it's as try our best not to do harm on others. And I think that a lot of it is that anything that you do, ask yourself that many times, many months, years later, look back. Do you think that you genuinely do the right thing? And what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Yeah, I think that no particular legacy. To be honest, I think in the end, it's just that every moment, everyone had a chance to cross path, whether directly, indirectly. Like whether some of you that who are now listening to this, I think that is that throughout this conversation, if there is one thing, two things that you can pick up, go and for it, try it, right? And if you can, pay it forward. Anything that you can share this with someone that may or may not be able to hopefully improve their lives, right? I think that the every bit one at a time. One, but nothing is too significant. Like Datuk Johan Marikan, who is now second of the MOF, yeah, mentor that has helped me a lot over the years. That he gave me the opportunity to went on Eisenhower Fellowship as well back then, when he just called me and asked me how old am I, to see whether I've met into the age criteria for that. Right, that call was 11 years ago. I still remember that. And I think that he, he said one story that he shared was that. Think of it, you're at a beach, right? There's a lot of starfish that's dying on the beach. Like, yes, you might not be able to clear all the starfish that's dying there, but for every starfish that you pick it up, you put it back into the sea. To you, maybe is the beach is still full of starfish that's dying, but to that starfish, you have saved the starfish life. Mm. You have made a difference to that person. So I think in the end, is that it's not about how many people you impact as well, but for everyone. That go out there, can that be? Can this like this conversation? Maybe what I shared, the answer may not help you, but can this trigger some question to you to reflect? Can this challenge you to go out there and live the best? Can they, maybe because of something that you don't agree with me on this sharing, or maybe with some any of this conversation, but each of that maybe that push you, inspire you, and if that can work. That's fine as well. So I think in the end is that live the life that you want to live to. Be yourself. One day at a time, go for it, and you can do it. Yeah. What do you think are the most important qualities of a successful person? Yeah, good question. But I don't think there is one quality. I think everyone differ, and good qualities for person A may be different for person B. I think in the end is be natural, be yourself. And do the goods, and I think a lot of time is a lot of is a lot of time is doing the right things when no one notice you. It's not about when all the cameras are around you, when everyone is looking at you, what you do. Yes, those are important, but what's more important is how you do, how you treat people when no one notice you. Right? If today you walk past, no one is around there. You see a rubbish on the roadside. You're not going to get anyone mentioning you. Would you bend down and pick up that rubbish? If you see someone suffering somewhere, no one going to notice what you do. Will you do it? Right? And I think a lot of it's that. I think it's doing it from a genuine of heart, rather than. And I think that Mark Chang, Job Street founder, does a lot, a lot of this that no one realizes. I'm quite sure he doesn't want me to talk any of this here as well, but he's someone that. Do 
lots and lots of good deal without asking anything in return. And a lot of time he's just saying that, yeah, the person if you can pay it forward. Yeah. And where can people go to find out more about you, Faith, anything else? How can you get in touch? Yeah. So I think for Faith, yeah, go to App Store, Play Store, Huawei Store, search for Faith. Yeah. The, but I think for myself, yeah, just go LinkedIn and Hanit. Yeah. Of course, people that know me, I think that the happy to connect and in whichever way, right? Message. I won't name the phone number here, but I guess <laughs> if you want it, you have a way to find it. I think they always believe that, right? I think that, yeah, the world is quite small. I think generally happy to talk to anyone because I think a lot of times is that, and, and I enjoy seeing people grow and every connect, right? I think that just like 20 years ago, Elon Musk spent that some time talking to a random person as me. And there are many, many other folks that have done that, right? And I think that the same thing, yeah. Whenever I can, we'll spend time. Sometimes it's just a conversation with our high school kids. Some I went to some MRSM and did, did a talk. And the, I still remember there was one time I was, I think this is Kuala Trungano, if I don't remember MRSM, Kuala Trungano, give a talk till late nights. And the, the, the teachers want the students to go back to sleep. The students ask the teacher what time tomorrow morning they can be there. The teacher said 6.30 a.m. At 6.30 a.m. when I got to that place, the students were there. These kids ask very basic questions. I actually don't know where they are these days, how, how far have they gone, but I knew that at that moment, these kids really will have a genuine heart of learning and growing. And I think that's most important, yeah. Fantastic. And is there anything else you'd like to share that we haven't covered so far? Yeah. So I think that thanks a lot for tuning into this podcast. I think that for those of you that who listen to this point, especially if you don't just fast forward, <laughs> you really listen to, thank a lot. I think this character, this behavior, this attitude of going through, a lot of times it's what you do something, it's what you do everything. And David Lai, who helped me a lot, chat a lot with this, right? I think that the, when you do something, and I think that a lot of time is that if you, this talk, listening through this whole one hour plus may not make, may not be the reason that you succeed, but that character attitude or willing to listen to a random strangers talking randomly, that character, that attitude, continuous learning, continuously reflecting, developing will bring you far. So I think that's something that you continue to on and wish all of you success and wish Linya and her new venture successful. And tune in. If you haven't subscribed to her channel, subscribe it, follow it and share with others. Thank you. And that was the end of episode 118. The show notes and transcript can be found at sodismawai.com forward slash 118. And do stick around for next Sunday because we will be meeting one of the most well-known and well-respected English entrepreneur who also has an OBE. He co-owns two of the largest media publications in the UK, one of which dominates the online space and also co-founded the largest food redistribution charities in the UK too. So. How did this next guest get into the space? What is it like to build not one, but two media empires? Why did I get the former Chancellor of the Exchequer, George Osborne, on as an editor? And was that a mistake? All that and more in the next steamy episode. You don't want to miss out. So if you haven't done so already, please do subscribe, leave a rating and review and share with your friends because that's the only way anyone will ever hear about this episode. 
and see you next Sunday.